What prompts one to sign up for something that scares them? Why is it important to find your headroom? What is the May reunion? And finally, what is hammocking? Today on Talking Admissions and Med Student Life, I interview Russell, a first-year medical student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. Uh, I'm with a great uh, incoming student today, uh, Russell. Hello, Russell. Hi. Um, so uh, let's just let's just start at the beginning. So obviously, you got into medical school. Mm-hmm. How did you make that decision to become a doctor? I started thinking about medicine when I was 16. I was a very thoughtful teenager. When a lot of kids were out partying, I was thinking about what am I going to do with my future. Mm-hmm. And I thought about medicine. It wasn't something super serious, but that's when I started thinking about it. When I was 21, though, I made the specific decision that I was going to pursue medicine. And this is while you're at BYU, correct? This was about a month before I started college. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, um, and how did you know, I mean, what type of activities, activities that you do uh, prepared you to go into medical school? Okay. So... Just like all pre-med students, you know, when I was a freshman, I look at this huge list of things I'm supposed to do, and I'm like, wow, that's a lot of stuff. So, you know, I did the shadowing and volunteerism and stuff. It got to a point, though, about two years into my college experience where the pre-medical activities actually started to feel really meaningful Mm -hmm. instead of just kind of a checklist of things to do. And I got to a point where I was like, wow, this is like, you know, Medicine is a lifelong commitment, and I need to start doing my pre-med activities like shadowing and clinical experiences to be – it has to be a soul-searching activity from now on. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of really good experiences. There was even a point where I seriously considered other things even just six months before applying to medical school. I I, I thought I have to be 100% on board. So I looked into podiatry and everything. Ultimately, though, medicine was the only thing that felt right. Okay. You know, I looked at your application, Russell, in anticipation of this podcast. Uh-huh. And let's just talk about some of those activities because sure. it's very impressive. Uh-huh. Um, first of all, the Utah County Crisis Line. Yeah. So how uh-huh. did you get into that? I mean, and what is that? Yeah. So I saw a flyer for that at school, and um, it's essentially where you get trained to talk to people that are in crisis. Mm-hmm. Um the most hardcore calls are definitely suicide calls, mm-hmm. which we got fairly often. Um, but it could range any, anywhere from uh, people just feeling really stressed. Some people were just very uh, lonely and they would call in. Some people were afraid that they were going to get kicked out of their house. Mm. So um, I saw a flyer. I thought that was going to be a great experience. And um, so I did that on and off for like three and a half years. So, I mean, were you at a call center or were you at home? Yeah. How's it set up? So they did have a call center. It was um, it was part of this building that also did other things, too. Mm-hmm. Um, to help the community. And yeah, I'd go in uh, once or twice a week usually and do that. Um, and what, you know, would the phone just be ringing all night long or would there be these long periods of time? It and, totally depended. Um, there were some days, it really depended on the time of day you came into. They were like early morning shifts, mid afternoon. It was the late night shifts that got the most call volume. Okay. And um, it had less to do with call volume and more the fact that one call could take over an hour. Mm. So especially with people that were deeply suicidal and had a plan mm-hmm. of action to actually 
to actually kill themselves, we'd often be on the phone for a long time with them. So, you know, I, I did my training in psychiatry, so I'm just fascinated by this. Yeah. And one of the things they taught us, I'm curious, you know, because I did my training on the East Coast, yeah. is that if you have a phone call like that, you try to get as much information from them as possible, mm-hmm. and then on on the side, you would contact the police to kind of go find them. And yeah. Is, is that kind of the same protocol here? Yeah, okay. so we did, have, we did have very specific protocol about when to call the police. Okay. We were only told to call the police if they not only had a plan, but they made it known to us that they were absolutely certain that they were going to do it. So there was a few times where I had flipped out the binder and I had the flow chart of the, you know, the procedures I had to do Mm -hmm. and got very close a few times, but I was always able to, uh, to diffuse the crisis by the end, mm-hmm. which was extremely rewarding. Yeah, that, I mean that just sounds like an amazing experience, and just like it, all, just it's so, it like sounds like very variable from night to night. Yeah, it was, and in the beginning, it scared the crap out of me. I was mm-hmm. I was really really scared about it, but once once you actually have the experience of diffusing a suicidal um, a crisis, it's deeply rewarding. Mm-hmm. And how many of you were there? I mean, in the call center, just one at a time. <laughs> So what would happen if you're on the phone with someone for an hour and another call came in? Yeah, so if that happens, it was automatically sent to the national crisis line. Oh, I see. So this yeah. is kind of – all right, so this is kind of the local kind yeah. of first step. And then if it gets like – Actually, I think it was relayed to a crisis line here at the U if okay. I remember yeah. right. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. I mean like yeah. it's the next biggest county. So yeah. we're interesting. And so everyone would be like from Utah County who would call in. Yeah. Most people would. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and then it sounds like you also did some work at uh, at a rehab. Uh, yeah, uh huh. So t- how'd you get into that? Yeah, so I I volunteered at a nursing home for a while, and um, at the beginning I was going to simply visit residents, mm-hmm. but after a while I talked with the recreational uh, manager, and I decide we decided together that um, it would be more enjoyable for the residents, and I would feel more at home if I just played music for them. Mm -hmm. So I would sing and play guitar. Eventually my friend would come with me and um, we just had a wonderful time. That's amazing. That sounds great, Russell. And so you kind of talked about music. Yeah. So I, I, as I gathered from your application, music is a big part of your life. It is. So how old were you when you started playing instruments? What was your first instrument? Yeah. So my mom got me these Billy Joel tapes when I was seven years old. And I used to run around with a little portable cassette tape. Then she got me a record player when I was a teenager and ever since I've been hooked on vintage music I have a huge vinyl record collection and when I was 10 I composed my first piano piece Okay, I played it at a recital and then when I was about 16 maybe 15 I started actually writing music mm-hmm. um, when I was 18 I released an album on iTunes um, you know during high school played a lot of fun shows and then um, during my college experience, I was in a band called The May Reunion, and um, we came out with an album this April, and it's been been a big part of my life. Okay. And so what do you play in the band? So I'm the lead singer, Okay. and I also play that acoustic hence guitar. Hence really great radio voice. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I sing, and I play acoustic guitar. Um, on one of the songs on the album, I play banjo, which mm-hmm. I'm proud of because I don't actually play banjo. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked for the song. And then there's a few songs where I play keyboard. Okay. Yeah. How big is your band? How many people? We're a trio. A trio. Okay. Yeah. So we, our whole mindset is playing very minimalistic music that hopefully puts you to sleep. Not out of boredom, but out of how nice it is. Like relaxation. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. And so 
And how long has the band been, I guess, together? These are the words that yeah. come to mind. Yeah, no, yeah. So, well, me and my keyboardist, keyboardist decided that we were going to do this um, about eight years ago. When okay. we were in high school, we said, if we, get to, if we go to the same college, we need to do this. Mm-hmm. And we decided back then that it was going to be called the May Reunion. And, um, but we became f- actually active in the band, I would say, January of 2004. 14, even though we did do things interspersed for about a year before that. Okay. And yeah. what's it like to be a, a small band? It's nowadays? so good. Okay. I love it because when we play shows and stuff, the uh, sound engineer and the people that are working at the the venue, will, you know, they'll say like, okay, where's your drum set? We've got to work on this and that, and we have to do a sound check. And they're always so pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. that we have almost – we can fit all of – the equipment and our whole band in my tiny car. So it's, awesome. it's very convenient. And, so, and, and have you guys gone on tour a little bit or you just kind of stayed um, in Utah? We've stayed around in Utah. We've, um, in Provo, we, we've played at the Valor quite mm-hmm. a bit okay. and we've played at BYU and, uh, we just played a, a wedding this Saturday okay. and, uh, we've played outside shows and stuff. So where's your favorite place to play? The Valor okay. for sure. Why? Um, it just has a really rich history. A lot of a lot of really amazing bands have come out of the velour scene. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just the icing on the cake. It, so when I think of Provo bands, I think of Imagine Dragons. Is yeah, that, is that inaccurate? No, okay. no, not okay. at all. And right. they were they were grown on on velour okay. and that whole scene yeah, and so stuff. I'm not even aware of their their whole origin, but yeah, it's, 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 I know they're from Provo. So, uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So Imagine Dragons and and Neon Trees and all those bands around here. So it's always just kind of an honor when uh, we got get up on stage there mm-hmm. to know that. We're at a really special place. So I assume you're going to keep on playing music all throughout med school. Yeah, I am. Yep. I already have my recording gear set up in my basement. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and I, I'm curious, what, why, why the name? Where is, is there a That's a good question. So. Uh, yeah. So me and my keyboardist have been friends for about a decade. Okay. Andy. And um, let's see. In about near the very end of 2007, I was at his house and we were kind of reminiscing about how I was about to leave on an LDS mission. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got back, he was just, he would have just left. So we weren't going to see each other for like three and a half years. So we kind of decided then I was like, I was like, dude, whatever happens in 10 years from now on May 6th, which is just a random date that just came to mind. I was like, as a token of our friendship, let's just meet up no matter where we are and like eat dinner or something like that. Mm. And we shook on it. And, um, so the band is called the May reunion kind of off of that plane. I love of that. that. That's yeah. Wonderful. So oh. now it's almost 2017 and, um, I'm here in Salt Lake and he's in Provo. So hopefully we don't have to drive across the country for it. <laughs> so I can't believe how soon it's going to be though. Cause it feels like we just did that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Where'd you go on your mission? I went to Chile. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you know, I served a mission myself. Okay. Um, and you know, the white handbook, do they still have the white handbook? They do. Okay. Yeah. I remember it was explicitly va- like explicitly vague. It was, it was vague uh-huh. when it comes to musical instruments. Yeah. Were, so uh-huh. were you able to like keep on playing during your mission? Or? I was. I, I, I assume yeah. it was something that was very mission to mission. Yeah. It kind of depends on your mission president and what's going on. So the 
pretty much i think it was like the second day i got there i bought a guitar okay <laughs> so and you mean there yeah. wasn't one left over in the no there wasn't I, i've seen a lot of guitars abandoned. yeah there are mine yeah. had so much sentimental value by the end that i actually bought like a hundred dollar case and brought it home and oh, i cool. still have it <laughs> but yeah i bought mine immediately and i tried to just play it on p days but um I would often play it more than that. <laughs> so. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. And would you, um, would you play in Chile? I mean, would you have like, I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's little concert, performances, yeah, performances and stuff. On the no, or anything like that. Never. No? I wish I would though. That would have been really cool. Okay. But no. But some of the some of the little things that I wrote on my mission, sometimes like even in my bathroom, I've actually ended up recording into songs and stuff, and okay. it's been great. Did, you know, and I think. Chile has a strong musical tradition. Do you feel like you've picked up any of that? I never after, afterwards when you came back. We or? were never really allowed to listen to any normal music on the mission, okay. so I never really feel like that seeped into my musical okay. craft. Okay, okay. yeah, right. interesting. Yeah. All right, so and also Russell, you know, it looks like you had some time with all this going on to volunteer in hospice too. Uh huh. Yeah. Let's talk, how, talk about that so that was not as drawn out as a lot of my other volunteer opportunities um i volunteered for a hospice program for a few months and um it was good i specifically signed up for that because it kind of scared me Mm -hmm. it kind of scared me to to form relationships with someone and then know that they could pass away at any time Hmm. and that actually happened and um that was kind of the experience that i was hoping i wasn't going to have but knew that that's what I needed. Mm -hmm. So um, I signed up. I started visiting this really nice older woman for um, a while. And within about six weeks, she, she passed away. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was, um, it was hard, but um, it's, I feel like it's kind of like what you guys emphasize in your admissions is like, it's important to put yourself in situations that don't make you feel comfortable. And I, I really, that has always really resonated with me mm-hmm. because I feel like medical school is just going to be one long, uncomfortable situation. And I want to be okay with that. And that's things like that has, has helped me get to that point. Mm-hmm. To that how, point. how'd you, I mean, how'd you manage that? I mean, how'd you kind of cope? Yeah. Because you talk, you know, on like, you know, the human existence, you know, all of us will unfortunately pass away one day. Our mm-hmm. loved ones will pass away and we're, and I don't think we can escape watching someone that we care about deeply. Yeah, no, it's and true. So, I, I mean, how did you manage that? For me, I've always been someone that looks far ahead into the future. So for me, it was always – it was not expecting death. It was knowing at any time that it could happen. So having a realistic paradigm about how transient the world is is, I think, an important part of coping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then just cherishing the relationships you have right now at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Did this patient, did this patient, this person, this I don't know, client. I'm not sure how how they refer to them. Is is did they have any other family members around, or was it kind of just she you? didn't? No, okay. she had a caretaker, but she didn't have any family. Okay. So it was kind of just maybe you and her near the end. She know? lived a by the end. She lived a very lonely life. So yeah. that's I think hospice is extremely valuable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate because you know, like as a you know, as a physician myself, I have seen time and time again, you know, because we have this image of, you know, family members stepping in and helping out. Mm-hmm. And that is very true in a lot of cases. But there's a yeah. lot of people out there who may have lived long enough. They've outlived their family or friends yeah. who never married for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have that support. And they're kind of more tucked away from society's eyes. And yeah. And 
and they kind of need that. And that's why I think the missions committees, not only here but across the nation, they love it when people volunteer at hospice because yeah. it really teaches uh, very powerful lessons. I agree. I think that people dying alone is extremely tragic and that it can almost always be avoided, even if hospice is the last, you know, the last thing that they try. Okay. Um, So, Russell, I mean, you know, you've done all of this. You're an active musician. You're doing all these really cool things. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you prioritize? How did you get this all together? I mean, what were kind of – what advice would you give to someone? My advice – and this is something that my friend told me years ago that I sharply disagreed with at first, but now I kind of accept. One thing that helped me at certain times, like when school got really crazy and I was trying to balance that with extracurricular activities – is you have to accept that sometimes life actually isn't balanced at all Mm -hmm. and that you should try to keep it as balanced as you can, but sometimes you do have to focus on one thing at a time. So that's what helped me. Um, You know, chemistry at BYU is a nightmare. I loved it, but it was... It was really hard. So that was the nightmare part of it? That was, yeah. And I loved it, but I I did all of my chemistry during spring, summer. So it was accelerated. And um, sometimes I just didn't have time to do anything else. Mm -hmm. But um, so accepting that sometimes life is unbalanced gave me peace. Mm -hmm. But when I did get a little bit of headroom to kind of wiggle around, I made sure to, to look at what I valued most and did that. So... I would try to, for example, sleep is sacred to me. I tried to sleep as, you know, as close to eight hours as I could. Mm-hmm. I would try to eat healthy and I would try to spend time with people and build relationships. Excellent, excellent. I, yeah. I like what you said. It's like that balance. Um, you know, people who apply to medical school, people who get into medical school, they yeah. lead very busy lives. Yeah. And as a medical student, as a future doc, you're also going to have a very busy life. Yeah. And you know, mission committees love to see those skills, that balance. And it's yeah. hard. It is really hard. Um, yeah. You know, I can't, you know, when I was applying to medical school, I remember like, oh, you know, it would just be much easier just to hang out with my friends or go watch TV or kind of do all this other stuff. But like, no, like, I, I told them I was going to go over and, you know, be at the homeless shelter at this time. And, yeah. you know, my weekend's kind of full with these different things. And that's okay. And I like how you said headroom. I like that idea. Because yeah. like uh, when you come up for air, yeah, you need to kind of take your own mental health breaks and kind of. Yeah, take it easy a bit. So, and I think for me, one of the best things I learned is that there are certain things in life that you shouldn't think of as as pleasures or something that you just do, you know, kind of to reward yourself. Things like sleep and eating correctly and spending times with people you love, you should think of those as necessities, even during the busiest of times, mm-hmm. and um, and they should always be on the top of your list when you have that little bit of wiggle room. Okay. Okay. Um, And so being a pre-med at at BYU, I know Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people down there that want to get to medical school. How was that? How did you navigate that? Were you kind of part of all the clubs? Were you not part of the clubs? Good question. So I would attend the BYU pre-med club only when I was extremely interested in the content. So I wasn't the kind of person that would go every Thursday night or anything like that. Um, But when something really interested me, I would. And um, I did have pre-med friends. Um, I didn't really feel the need to network or anything like that. But um, naturally, some of my friends were in the same boat as me, and I met them in classes. So for me, um, I only got involved when I felt really passionate about what I Mm-hmm. Well, I think, Russell, your application demonstrates you were able to get all these different experiences. You learned the right lessons and, yeah. 
And I think, as you said, it made your life much richer. I mean, it you did. started off by the boxes, end. It, did. it was more than more transformational. I get the sense. Yeah. So in the beginning, it was as superficial as any other freshman pre-med student is mm-hmm. going to experience. And, and, and I, I don't regret that. It's, that's kind of just, I feel like it's a period of growth these four years. Yeah. Well, that's college, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. At first, you're kind of just this wide-eyed student that's trying to kind of just look at this huge list of things to do. But by the end, it really was a journey of me discovering if medicine was really something that I was willing to do. And by the end, it really did check out, and I'm extremely happy with that. Okay. Well, classes start next week. Well, yeah. orientation starts Orient- next week. Yep. Classes start in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you done this summer to prepare, if anything? Yeah, so I bought a U- I bought a first aid book. <laughs> you're, I tr- start- you're starting early. Yeah, <laughs> no, I me and yeah. my me and my other friend who's going to med school out of state, we we tried to study from it. I feel like he was more successful than me. A lot of that information, I feel like, doesn't make sense without some sort of context. Okay, yeah. But um, I did study some biochemistry. I took that this winter, so mm-hmm. I've brushed up on that. And I've done I've studied some anatomy, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I took two anatomy classes, so I feel like that's kind of fresh in my mind. Okay. And um, I've asked... I've asked a lot of students here through via Facebook and stuff, um, just things that I can do mm-hmm. to prepare. I've met up with my big sibling, okay. my big brother, and everything. We had lunch last week. Good, good. So I'm just trying. I've just been trying to get a general sense of the best way to approach this from yeah. all angles. To me, like uh, some, you know, like it's hard to describe med school. It's like a, it's like like I've never personally been to Chile. You, you've yeah. been there. You mm-hmm. can describe it. Yeah. And to me, it's kind of the same thing. Not until you actually go there. Yeah. You can kind of like, okay, like all the senses, all these people to experience. So it's hard because I talk about med school. I've been through med school. Yeah. You're about to start. Yep. And I know there's all this like, oh, like excitement, anxiety, and tension. Yeah. Um, but it's hard. But I think you've done like, like the right things. Like I usually tell people like, technically you don't need to take anatomy classes because we, we teach that to I'm you. sure it's yeah. very helpful. It's very helpful. Yeah. yeah. Did you do something relaxing this summer? Or oh, yeah. Oh, I'm huge into – I don't even know if this is a, a word, but I'm huge into hammocking. I hang my hammock hammocking. Let's talk about everywhere. That. Okay. So yeah. I have a really nice hammock. It's made out of nylon, so like a tent material. It's really big. You can fit like three people in it. Okay. And I just – I view the world – I have a different worldview because to me when I'm looking at my surroundings, I'm looking for trees that I could hang my hammock okay. or really, really pretty places for me to drink yerba mate. What's that? So that's a South American herbal drink that I picked up on my mission. Okay. And it's great because hammocking and drinking mate fit like a glove together. It's just like wow. the essence of being out in nature and experiencing tranquility. So I, I, I picture you hammock, yababate. Uh, yerba mate. Yeah. Yerba mate and uh-huh. a guitar. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. They, they all go together. And I just – I love outdoorsy mm-hmm. things. So I'm always hiking. I'm always running in nature. One of my biggest hobbies that I've developed in the past eight months is I'm a huge fan of jumping in extremely cold water. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's break this down. One yeah. One. yeah. To all yeah. our listeners out there. Yeah. So those of you who are curious about hammocking, where's a good place? Where's a good grove of trees to hammock? So I, where would you recommend? Okay. So I've only been in Salt Lake for a few days, but um, I live fairly close to the Sugar House Park. Okay. 
And um, there's a certain area of that park that kind of dips down near the river, and there's amazing places to hammock there. Okay. Yeah. And, and we're talking full-on sleep or just kind I've, of... I have slept in my hammock. Okay. Right now, it's actually hung in my basement, and I plan on sleeping in there, maybe even tonight. Okay. I, it's extremely comfortable. As someone that, that has also been in hammocks, I'm uh-huh. curious, how, how often have you fell, fallen out of your hammock? Ne- uh, so my hammock has... So the ropes that hold it up have loosened enough to fall once, but I've never actually fallen okay. out of my hammock. My That's hammock, amazing because I think most people have like had a hammock mishap. Yeah, so yeah. it really depends on the type of hammock you have. Mine is so big that you kind of wrap yourself in it okay. so that the walls of the hammock go above your head. So it's, Is there a specific name for this type yeah, of hammock? Yeah, this is a Trek light hammock. Okay. I recommend anyone that's serious about hammocking get mm-hmm. one off Amazon. A Trek light. Trek okay. light. They're about $70, but it's worth it. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then you said you like to jump in very cold water. Yeah, that's a that's something that I kind of Where discovered. did that come from? Yeah. Was this good part question. of the ice bucket challenge? No, not at all. Direction or? So let's see. I think it was in January. Me and my friend, I think, as a kind of just as a fun little thing, we went to the to the Utah Lake and jumped in and there was like ice. We had to like move ice chunks out of it. It was kind of more of like I dare you to do this kind of mm-hmm. thing. And it felt so good that we started doing it like every other day mm-hmm. and I continue to do it. And I've tried different things now, since it's not snowy outside, I'll often hike up to uh, a river that's mostly glacier runoff and stuff. And a few times I've actually filled my bathtub with ice cold water and put ice cubes in it. Okay. So you're jumping in. How long do you stay in? So when I used to, I used to actually time myself just for fun to see if I could do it. And it would be between five and 10 minutes. I would keep my hands above the water because the the pain would actually be fairly excruciating at the mm-hmm. end. But and your um, hands are very important as a yeah, physician yeah, as well so, as a guitar player. Yeah, yeah so I need yeah. to keep my hands yeah. warm. Yeah. But by the end of some of these little, you know, water trips, my whole body would be totally red and it'd feel like thick rubber like I couldn't really feel anything. Okay. The key, though, is to make it as shocking and as disturbing of an experience as you can because afterwards you feel this wonderful rush. And that's that's the rush that I seek. That's okay. the reason I do it. Okay. I've never heard about this before, Russell, so I'm fascinated by it. For those that, I hope you stay safe through yeah, all this. Yes. <laughs> for those that don't want to do caffeine to wake up in the morning, try cold water. No side effects. <laughs> Besides better health. Is that where the bathtub comes in? or Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you can do it ho- however you want. But I still take cold showers every day. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. cool. Well, Russell, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah. I, I, I wish you the very best. We'll have you come back on yeah. in you know, a few months. Just kind of check in. That I'd love that. Uh, and I appreciate your time and keep on playing music. Keep Thanks. Keep on yeah, I will. hammocking and jumping into cold water. All of those are um, things I'll I'm do. I'm excited for you to start medical school. I am too. Thanks so much, Dr. Chen. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.